to the Unrepresentative Swill podcast. I'm Nick, here with lovely Rob, as always. Back at it again with more political insight. Back, back at it again. Back at it again. Damn, Daniel. Oh, Meme God. from like 10 years ago now. Yeah, pretty bad. Might have to cut that out. I'll apologise as well for my husky. I have a bit of a husky voice today, Rob. So, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't make an apology for that. Maybe that'll uh, swoon a few of our <laughs> listeners. I mean, that's true. It's a good radio voice, huskiness. Yeah, exactly. Do you remember in the like the sixties or like the seventies? I really do remember the sixties <laughs> and seventies. When everyone they were my best days. But like everyone had a husky voice. I think anyone who did radio had a husky voice. Uh yeah, sure. Why were voices more husky back then? Uh people smoked way more. I'd say that's true. Actually. <laughs> that's actually a great call. And also, I dare I say, there is a a fair amount of uh rose tinted goggles. On that one, mm, nostalgia mm. for yeah. a time before yours. I mean, the seventies were pretty great. 60s. I think the sixties were pretty cool. The seventies, cool. the seventies, famously terrible economies globally. Yeah, yeah. But you know, a lot of cultural and social stuff happened in the seventies for sure. I mean, yeah, and also like a lot of like bad things. But yeah, you know, it's never that's lo- something that I always find really interesting about like looking. Like we always talk about how terrible neoliberalism is. And, like, how the welfare state was so much better. But, like, there was also some pretty terrible things that happened in the 60s and 50s. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, if you look at, like, some measures of things today, you know, the the number of people in absolute poverty, lowest ever been. Yeah. Um, That kind of stuff. So, I mean... Kudos to neoliberalism, I guess. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) let's leave it there. Neoliberalism (laughs) wins. That's the end. Well, kudos to some some efforts. But, you know, then you look at that, it's like, oh, China did most of the work, so... Yeah, and... That's neoliberalism with Chinese characteristics. There you go. Um, and or capitalism with Chinese characteristics is the official line from the CCP. Yeah, it's like a lot of the people in Africa are still living under absolute poverty, still live under absolute poverty. So that, yeah, that hasn't changed I mean, 30 years, 40 years. Yeah, it's, it's very complicated to pull people out of absolute poverty because yeah. absolute poverty is, like, shockingly, really, really hard. Like, there's a lot of things you have to consider... To get people out of that. Yeah, well, it's, it's easy to identify the root causes, you know, colonialism and all that jazz. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. But the actual way to, to fix that with kind of the nation states that we have set up at, at the moment, quite difficult to, you know, if it's one, one big planet Earth state, you just redistribute resources, but it's not, as e- it's not that easy. Yeah, but it's also like incredibly difficult to break poverty as a, as a cyclical, not a cyclical, a generational like trauma, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Particularly true. when it's like absolute dirt poverty i think maybe you can see that with the indigenous peoples of different um countries yeah and the, the cycles of disadvantage and and stuff like that that continues on um even in very well developed economies yeah very well put nick thanks man what are we talking about today a bit of a u.s uh, election uh recap very uh high profile midterms and then some crunching IR discussions. Industrial relations. The, <laughs> just the good stuff, you know? The real yeah. meat on the bone kind of stuff. But first, Rob, get some, some minor news stories out of the way. Bit of news. So there's this uh, like climate change conference that they do every year. 
I'm not sure if you've heard of them, Nick. Probably haven't. Um, a cop? Cop out? Yeah. Cop out is a great way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cop 27 happening in Egypt. So, you know, nice great little country. bit of greenwashing there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, what, 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 anything cool or anything of note that have come from that? Yeah. Do you think COP actually makes a difference? I saw some polled numbers on it and like a third of people said they thought it made a difference. Yeah. So not huge numbers. Um, uh, This is a real interesting thing. So the the current framework around uh, like climate change just doesn't work, right? I think that's reasonably well put In- at this Incompatible point. with the kind of way our economies work. Yeah, yeah. Politics works. And it, it's, just, it's just not... Um, gonna be good enough to do what it currently is. With that said, though, I think cops are better than nothing. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, international cooperation in yeah, any form of that will take, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm conflicted to say like, oh, well, they suck. Let's just bin them because like I think they do something, but also it's just it's just nowhere near enough at this point and. Uh, uh, 1.5, the UN came out the other day and said there's no credible pathway to 1.5. Yeah. And at current levels, we're going to go to 2.5. Yeah, awesome. Uh, emissions are set to peak this year, allegedly. Yeah. So, you know, um, oh my God, the world is going to end. Oh, Rob, I mean, don't be silly. We can't just stop burning fossil fuels. <laughs> don't, be, don't be silly. <laughs> don't be silly. <laughs> yeah. Silly, silly young person. Can you imagine <laughs> the, the economy? Exactly. So we saw we saw the. That's uh, just sorry. I was just role playing every interaction with um, a boomer ever when you talk about climate change, exactly. especially oh well, yeah, ones that are, are pretentious and think they know everything. Exactly. We saw the like chief UN dude come out and do the the speech you hear at the start of every cop about how the world's going to end, and how it's really really terrible that this is happening, and nothing will really happen. But something that's interesting is we've seen the conversations shift now. It's no longer how can we stop it. It's like, oh, we got to like uh, help the people that it's already happened to. Uh, so we've seen the setup of this like or the proposed setup of like a damage and redistribution fund. I'm not sure what it's called. So it's a fund basically primarily to Pacific Island nations and nations uh, like a Bangladesh comes to mind uh, that uh, will be significantly affected by climate change and it will be distributed away from richer nations. The Labor government's come out and said they're happy to have a debate about this, but that's about as far as they've got. Nice. So <laughs> Yeah, things going well then. I mean, yeah. well, yeah, as, as always, you don't have to look too far to see the potentially the impacts of climate change on our own country in terms of really bad floods, early floods happening in um, New South Wales at the moment, as they've been happening all year over east. Um, the extent to which that's linked to climate change, we'll never know, but to some extent the writing's on the wall. Yeah, um, not not too hard to do the simple math there. No, not too hard. We have one in a hundred year floods and fires for the last three happening every few months and a half years. Yeah, every few months really floods in particular. Yeah, strange. Oh, just weird that that's happening. Hey, can't be. It couldn't be climate change. It seems like the way that our industries work is that they can only prioritize short term. Uh, economic gain for big corporations and um, wealthiest people in society. And have no kind of coordination to target any kind of broader, social, more long-term social policy. Yeah. Do you know what's the worst, maybe one of the worst industries for that, Rob? Go. The, the, mi- the mining industry. Speaking of the mining industry, one of our most illustrious Australians, um, Gina Reinhardt, mining magnate, pictured 
<laughs> in the background of uh, Donald Trump's announcement that he's going to run as uh, president in 2024. So Gina Reinhart rocked up, keen supporter of Trump's 2016, said that he brings power to the people. Of course, Gina Reinhart, Australian billionaire, makes money off digging power stuff up. Power to the people. Up. Yeah, the, definitely the same woman that said that uh, it'd be cool if Australians could work for $2 a day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, it's for the, the greater good, Rob. And she My would God. know because she's a billionaire. And she would, yeah. And she worked really hard for those that billionaire, yeah, uh, all billionaire lifestyle did. that she's got. Yeah, her oh, in particular. Right? <laughs> My God. I mean, yeah, that that's the worst when they just in, inherit stuff. Inherited billionaire. Jeez. But even I'll I'll go ahead and say it's not even that much different when they, uh, for whatever reason, you know, work hard, are smart, and also get to that position because no one deserves billions of dollars. It's ridiculous. Absolutely, you make it off luck, uh, the talent and expertise and hard work of other people. And benefit from the way our society's organized. Yeah, so, sure. I mean, I don't think anyone should have that much money. But recently, Rob, the Mining uh, Council has said that any kind of profit on windfall uh, gains that the mining industry will make off selling stuff like fossil fuels and other ore and stuff uh, will be opposed uh, by them in an ad campaign if Labor ever proposes such a thing. Yeah. Uh, real Kevin Rudd uh, memories. Yeah, there. we've seen this one before, haven't we? Absolutely, but the mining industry, as poisonous as ever, clearly has no other goal in mind than short-term profit for shareholders and the people at the top of that corporation. Let's get into it though, Rob. You want to recap the midterm elections? Yeah, uh, let's uh, quickly shift from WA politics, please. So the red wave happened, of course. Of course, yes. The red wave that was supposed to happen because the US economy, uh, if it isn't already in a recession, it's heading for a recession. Uh, Joe Biden is historically unpopular. Very unpopular. Yeah, very uh, unpopular. The most unpopular president in living memory. Nice. Aside from Donald Trump. Yeah, of course. Because he's always the anomaly. Anomaly. If you're wondering if I can say that word. And oh my God, it didn't happen because the Republican Party is so bad. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, recap that for those who are unaware, Rob. There was a big uh, media coverage in the lead up saying that the polls were looking very disfavorably for the Democrats, that there would be a big red wave, Republican wave, that uh, the Republicans would sweep the House and the Senate, and it would all create this perfect uh, crescendo for Trump to announce his running for the White House in 2024. Didn't exactly go to plan that way. Republicans did win the House. So that's a, a major blow to the Democrats. Did not win the Senate. Democrats retaining control of the Senate. Uh, key Trump-endorsed candidates who were kind of seen as a litmus, litmus test for the public's uh, keenness on Trump returning failed uh, in winning governor races and uh, that kind of stuff. I think Arizona and Georgia are two examples. Although Georgia was uh, technically a tie because no one got to 50%, but apparently the Democrat bloke will win that runoff. There you go. Well, not will, but should win that runoff. Yeah, and Arizona also another one that was um, very close and, and people tipped the Republican uh, Trump-backed candidate to win. Didn't. Yeah. Uh, so definitely not a red wave, but it's no big party for the Democrats uh, despite what they uh, are making it out to be and what they would want it to be. Obviously, they lost the House, Yeah. which I don't really hear it covered that much as a talking point because I don't think it matters as much in the US, but it does mean that they can't pass legislation through their system that all the Democrats 
support. Yeah. Which is difficult anyway, because not all the Democrats support it sometimes. Good old friend. See Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin. <laughs> yeah, in the Senate. Uh, but still very difficult, uh, not having control of the House. No, yeah, absolutely. And we've seen uh, not having control of the House really bite the Democrats in particular during the Obama administration and before that, the Clinton administration. One, one, one of the great administrations. Yeah, some great, great. It feels like a different world, doesn't it? Yeah, the old Clinton. Yeah, remember when the end of history happened in oh, the nineties? Yeah. yeah, that was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and history did end. It was almost like they were like staring at like a Coke bottle that someone had just shaked for like ten minutes. Yeah, and they put it down on the table and they were like, "End of history." <laughs> that's not going to do, it. do it. That's <laughs> not do anything. That's it's a, a great metaphor. Powder keg. Old powder keg metaphor, hey. Hold well on, man. Yeah. Uh, obviously, so, so you know, some positives out of this. Also some negatives, for sure. Uh, one of the big talking points that came out, Rob, was um, this Ron DeSantis um, figure. DeSanctimonious, as Trump a- As calls Trump him. coined him. Um, who won uh, the governor race in Florida by a huge margin, unprecedented margin. Um, he's kind of emerged as a um, opposing figure to Trump within the Republican Party, although yeah. he hasn't announced his uh, run for the presidency in 2024. A lot of people think that he will. And Trump has now. He announced that uh, yesterday, I believe. Yeah, as Gina Reinhart would know. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> as Gina would know. Uh, so Trump is running in 2024. Um, no real surprises there. But I think he will face uh, significant opposition, especially now that uh, it wasn't a huge clean sweep. It was a bit of a referendum on Trump this midterm. Yeah, and we're already seeing that split in the Republican Party. It started brewing basically as soon as Trump said the election was rigged about, you know, do we keep going down this Trump route or do we remain crazy but, like, uh, I don't know, respect democratic outcomes? I think that's the only real difference between yeah. these two. Because, <laughs> yeah, DeSantis very conservative. Oh, yeah. Like, Extremely conservative. Just because he isn't Trump doesn't mean he's not a lunatic. Yeah, abs- absolute crazy person, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, but, yeah, and we're also seeing a shift in uh, conservative news outlets in the US, which is, I think, uh, you talk about how these uh, you have your litmus tests. The real litmus test is what Rupert Murdoch <laughs> thinks. Because, you know, what decide, has a major influencing factor in what happens. Yeah, yeah. and we've seen, uh, like, the New York Post and Fox News shift their support away from Trump and towards DeSanctis, one of them calling him the future, which is <laughs> way worse than Trump's uh, little... Little applause. <laughs> little, uh, de- you know, the, the whole, like, great thing about Trump's is that it, it kind of sounds a tiny bit similar because it does... Whereas the future doesn't even work, you know. Yeah. They need a um. They need better like PR teams, or yeah. I don't even know what they're doing. Well, isn't it insane how easy it is to identify when these major news networks shift their support support, which should be should be an oxymoron, uh, a news network and supporting a candidate isn't, of course, for the US. Easy to identify when these news networks uh, shift their support for candidates, and that is a, a major thing, as we saw. In the lead up to the 2020 election, the 2016 election. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I think, one major factor, internal division within the Republican Party that has influenced the so-called success of this red wave is that the, the Trump-backed um, you know, election-denying candidates aren't actually performing as well as everyone thought Performed they would. Performed terribly. Yeah. And uh, this is a really, really easy political landscape for the Republicans to win. They... They can just say, hey, look, the economy's terrible. This is what wokeness does because, you know, go woke, go broke. 
stuff. Um, and then, you know, oh, look how bad Biden is. Sleepy Biden. Yeah. Uh, the economy's terrible. Hey, you'd win the election. You know, look at 2016. Yeah. 2000. Look at every single Republican win ever. You just run on this, uh, you know, conservative economic policy with a sprinkling of uh, crazy uh, social and cultural policies. And you win a lot of the time in the US. Yep. Small target. Uh, party represents nothing. Um, interests of rich people. Yeah. Basically. Um, not much and <laughs> Trump is just uh, so unpopular that he can't even get over the huge uh, macro factors that are making Democrats unlikely to be successful at the moment. Yeah. I, I will say... Um, one interesting point is that we were talking about before the show is that DeSantis, when in his election speech, said that it was a defeat of the the woke uh, mob. And I've it's got the quote here if you want, actually, mate. Yeah, hit me with it. So we will never surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where the woke goes to die. Um, woke goes to sleep would be better there. <laughs> yeah. straight, straight away. Yeah, should have been working on their team, Rob. Exactly. <laughs> I tell you what, I'd be great for one of these, uh, like. Extreme right-wing teams. That'd be pretty funny. Um, I'm sure they won't do a background check and <laughs> to see it. It's entirely a joke. Yeah. But it's strange that, um, as we were saying before, in a country that has legitimate high levels of actual poverty, um, the, clearly the biggest uh, political uh, factor is uh, wokeness, the defeat of the woke mob. Well, and this ties into another point that we were talking about off-air is that maybe the legitimate high levels of actual poverty is uh, not represented in the voting base because uh, they never vote the extreme poverty of America. Yeah. The extremely poor in America. Yeah, and it's hard for them to it. vote as well. Because oh, obviously in the very background hard to this, yeah. in all the red states, they've been actively reforming... Um, I use reforming in air quotes there. <laughs> uh, their, their electoral systems to disenfranchise people who are more likely to vote for uh, Democrats. Yeah. Just, yeah, in, in the interest not of rich people, basically. Um, you know, just protect it. Make sure there's no voter fraud, right? Of course, yeah. No voter fraud. Which is like, uh, happens never yeah, in any election so, in the Yeah, it's just so US. not an issue. I mean, yeah. Uh, the other thing, Rob, that I think it... You know, there's a few factors here. The Republican Party stuff is obviously important. I still think it's um, you know the residual anger among Democrats and young people uh, about reproductive rights. I think was actually probably yeah. a significant factor here because we saw massive turnout from youth voting in this <laughs> election. <laughs> well, we were joking before, so it's like twenty twenty seven percent of people aged um, eighteen to twenty seven voted in this midterm election, which is this is hard for Australians to understand. The second highest ever. Yeah. Um, in any midterm election, which is uh, pretty nuts, right? Like 27% isn't high at all. No, uh, uh, less than a third. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just think, yeah, we were saying as well, just think the difference that it would make if America had compulsory voting like Australia. Yeah. 100% of those people voting, the centre always wins and the Republican Party in its current state would not function at all no, if everyone can't. had to vote. So it's funny how with a in a problem country with so many uh, complicated issues, one very simple reform <laughs> would make things a lot better. Yeah, but um, I wonder how that would go down in a, in a in a debate. Well, obviously, it doesn't benefit the Republicans. So uh, easy easy argument here. It's uh, against freedom. So easy win for them. Of course, freedom, 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 freedom. Ah, of Don't course. take away my freedom, Rob. 
Your freedom to not exercise your most basic freedom. Of course. <laughs> of course. Okay. Um, anything else you want to talk about the US? My God, it's a sad set of affairs, might I add. Yeah, it is a sad set of affairs. Because, like, like, I think the, the narrative that I've seen a lot is that, like, Trump's dead. We're back. Yeah. But, oh, my God, this DeSanctus bloke is insane. Yeah, he's just, like, more put together than Trump, which is even worse. Yeah, he ways. just, like, uh, you know, would respect a democratic outcome. Maybe. Yeah, but still would just have, like, the worst impact on that country. You know, anti-abortion, opposes affordable care, uh, uh, which is colloquially called the Obamacare results, uh, you know, signed laws in the US lim- limiting education around uh, race, gender, sexuality, you know, just uh, opposed gun control, uh, lifted the lockdown within three weeks of COVID in 2020, which, oh my God, imagine that in Perth. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Uh, so yeah, just um, normal, normal good stuff about the Republican Party. And yeah, they're still insane. Yeah, still very insane. Um, more insaneness, I'm sure, will follow. As we all keep up to date. Oh, yeah. It's only going to get more and more spicy, you know. <laughs> We're back in the season. And in a bad, bad kind of spicy. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, this is too hot. Like <laughs> like a uh, loo. <laughs> this is like I've made a mistake. It's kind of <laughs> spicy. I can't eat this. I'm going hungry. <laughs> I also want to talk about Rob. Um, major AI, AI, uh, IR changes that are going to happen in this country in the coming weeks, maybe in the new year, as Labor pushes through very, very key piece of legislation, the Secure Jobs Build Better Pay or something bill, uh, which will make a, a very, is the first IR significant IR reform in basically a decade, will make a bunch of really big changes uh, and is being, uh, a few parts of it are being contested by the Australian Business Council so let's talk about that, Rob. It's a very, I was just saying, it's perfect. It's a very complicated way in which like bargaining and stuff works. Yeah. But I think it's complicated almost deliberately to make it um, people like uh, disenfranchised or disaffected with it. Yeah. I think that's a great way of putting it, Nick. Because that's what and, happened to me. And because of that, I, I am highly, highly uneducated on this. Well, uh, honestly, I, I would not know as much if it, you know, I didn't actually do work on it. <laughs> um so I, I, I'm going to approach this from mainly ideological and political but, uh, points, but I would like you to fill in detail and make <laughs> me sound smart if that's okay. I mean, that's the classic thing though, Rob. I think it's a really good point to highlight is that because it's a very technical system, the way that industrial bargaining works in this country, it, that's what people feel like is that um, a sense of ideology, ideology and uh, moral rightness yeah, you, know, you feel like it's a, a square peg into a circle hole, you know? Like, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. But that's actually, like, wrong. And that's, like, a strategy that the Business Council uses to try and uh, suppress any kind of genuine attempts to bargain for better conditions for well, workers. Well, yeah. It's a, we've seen this before in the climate debate uh, during the 90s and the 2000s where the science wasn't confirmed or consolidated, I think yeah. is the term they used. Yeah, yeah. And they try and make everything, and seen also in the energy um, market, they try and make everything very difficult for you to understand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because there is a very clearly, I think, uh, an answer—not an answer—one better way of going about 
these issues. Yeah. I, I mean, that's like technocracy is a good term for it. Um, that's a great term for it. Man. Yeah. It's like a neoliberal um, feature is like trying to make everything appear technical and out of your, the purview of the regular person. Um, and then <laughs> behind the scenes, it's relatively simple to know what direction is the right direction and the people who are in control are not putting it in that direction. Yeah. But uh, among a kind of a, a sweep of um, very, I want to say, uncontroversial changes, Rob, or changes that are pretty universally agreed are, are a good thing, including stuff like uh, removing confidential um, pay clauses in employment contracts, um, some other minor things. Big thing for this IR bill is multi-employer bargaining. So yep. a big way that um, wages are negotiated across certain kinds of industries that employ a lot of people, especially uh, people who are not earning heaps and heaps of money, is through enterprise agreements that are made um, on behalf of the workers through a union most of the time and then the employer. Right now under the system, basically you can only do that with one employer and one work group. Multi-enterprise bargaining would allow workers to unite across an industry and negotiate uh, against a whole bunch of employers. And that obviously just like gives workers more leverage. Uh, but the business council doesn't like this, Rob. Which is terrible for the business council because um, whether it, businesses, and this is no fault of businesses, they are there to s- secure a profit. And one of the biggest expenses they have to always overcome is wages, labor. So any increase to that expense, they're going to fight, right? Yeah. But it is in the overwhelming interest of the majority of Australians to increase wages and labor because uh, how many of you are CEOs or business owners listening to this podcast right now? So I think when when we hear these points from the business councils, while we got to consider, yes, that business is very important because we wouldn't have wages without them, uh, we got to also consider that they're acting in their own self-interest and uh, labor, which is everyone else in in society, has their right to act in their self interest. Absolutely, and I mean, like, like where are we going to direct the most benefits ultimately to most people in society? Labor, right? Yeah. So I, yeah, I think it's the actual kind of merits of all of this stuff. I think varies across different industries, and there's a lot of micro issues that come about, um, and you know, a lot of genuine concerns that uh, industrial action or like strikes, basically, at the wrong places can be very harmful to society overall but i mean the the ultimate backdrop of this is that as we've talked about before real wages have stagnated for 30 years um if you look at it i think most people serious people who agree that the balance between unions and businesses has been on the side of businesses by a significant amount for a very long time and is a, a, at least a decent factor in why wealth inequality is so high. And highest, wages, highest ever been. Wages in Australia haven't grown. Exactly. In the last 10 years, right? Yeah. And they're declining still, even after the most recent uh, a nominal increase of $1 when Labor got into power. They're still declining in real terms. So Yeah, and I mean, that was only that increase was only to uh, people on you know, a certain award. Um, actually, not even a huge amount of people. Yeah, I mean, I got it. No worries. There Cheers. you go. Yeah, Cheers I, I think I got it at the time as well. But yeah, if you're in an industry that has an enterprise agreement, it's separate. Um, so y- yeah, like I, I think the the issue is the rub that these like business council arguments that it's going to sacrifice long to you know the profitability of these businesses is just such like a trickle down argument. And yep. It's like it reminds me of like 
from a broader perspective, what is the purpose of businesses and commerce? Uh, is the purpose to make a lot of money for a select few amount of people and hedge funds? Of Like, no. Like, the, the distorted and fucked up thing is that the assumption is it's always viewed through a lens of, oh, it's and of course it's better for society as a whole. And somewhere people stopped focusing on that link between huge corporate profits and benefit for society as a whole. And that link is just so immaterial. It's just so not real. Yeah, absolutely. At um, some point you have to start to, to directly put more power, money into the hands of workers. Yeah, and w- going back to the last topic, we've seen the um, how disenfranchising workers and the working class within your society has terrible results for society uh, in the US. So, uh, yeah, I mean, wealth inequality, in my opinion, is just the single, um, wor- like, biggest or worst factor uh, globally that has contributed to so many political, environmental problems, right? Like, it has yeah. links to climate change, has links to populism, um, has links to, like, war. I mean, it's everything. <laughs> and, like, it, it's, it's you know, undisputable that wealth inequality in our modern world is the highest it's ever been. Yeah. And like, if you're not gonna seri- if you're gonna seriously come down to a table as the business council and say, no, we're not gonna support this because you know, it may have an impact on our profits. Like, guys, what are we doing? Like, things are so bad. What yeah. what what are we doing? You know, that's that's how I feel anyway, Rob. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, but um, so I want to talk about some political things about this real quick, and then we can probably wrap it up. Sure. Uh. Uh, Labor has been pretty much since they got into power really f- emphasizing this whole feminized industries because I think seeing the success of the teal independence and the general shift in uh, attitudes, uh, I think the focus that they've put on feminized industries and the unionization of those feminized industries, uh, I think is a, a good political tool of that that they've used uh, compared to like construction and, and manly industries, which already have a, uh, compared to the rest of society, quite strong unions. So that's uh, good, I think. Uh, and another thing I want to say is uh, labor attempting IR bills is um, very, very risky, and it shows, I think, the confidence that the Albanese government has that they're going to be able to maintain power for a long time, or a decent amount of time at least. Yeah, I, I think those are two really good points. I mean, the the first one is that like it is like a kind of um, political strategy um, of labor to focus on the kind of um, the impact this has on on women's working rights, um, but obviously there are legitimate changes in there that yeah. I think people mostly agree will um, help women secure better pay, um, close the gender pay gap. So there's a lot of good stuff there, and of course at the same time it's a very good political strategy as well. Uh, and I think it's a yeah, you know, it shows Labor's confident absolutely because IR bills usually you see at the at the end of a government's life when they know they're about to lose. Uh, you know, Howard era, uh, perfect example. The omnibus bill as well. Yeah. Um, but I think maybe it shows Labor's confident. Also, it shows, and, you know, what I've kind of been maybe talking, thinking for a year or a bit longer, is that there's genuine change in the electorate now. Yeah. Is that um, the chokehold that kind of neoliberal ideas has on the electorate is weakening a little bit in the midst of COVID, uh, you know, cost of living stuff, um, the legitimate threats to democracy all over the world 
I think that has to some extent, some pretty small extent, opened people's eyes to, oh shit, we need to actually do something to make society, you know, basically to help wealth inequality. Yeah, very interesting. And uh, without buying into the technocratic uh, thing, this is very complicated stuff. It is. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, genuinely, so, it's very, the actual way it works is very complicated. Yeah, uh, I highly encourage anyone to look into it yourself. Page, read the two hundred page bill. Yeah, read the two hundred page bill. Obviously, um, do research about every single uh, you know footnote within that two hundred page bill. Yeah. Basically, dedicate your whole life to this one bill, and <laughs> then then you can have a discussion with me about this. Of course. <laughs> and uh, we don't even know if it's going to pass as well. Like. Uh, it needs David Pocock's support in the Senate. Yeah, so. who... Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to comment on David Pocock. Yeah, one for another time, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it will pass, though. Um, maybe with some amendments, but I think it's looking pretty likely. So, I mean, well, you know, well-needed uh, industrial relations reforms. So. Yeah. Well done to Tony Burke, I guess. That's a, a fairly small but earned a command. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, better pay, secure jobs... I think that that sounds good to me, really. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if what the bill was called would just come into existence, that'd actually be crazy. <laughs> I mean, at the very least, we'll take a... Hopefully, this does something. Yeah. Uh, and if you want uh, nice. better pay and more secure jobs, you got to be uh, knowledgeable and you got to understand what's going on around you. And to do that, you, you simply must follow us on Instagram... Facebook and YouTube at Unrepresentative Swill and uh, at Twitter on uh, at Swill Podcast. Bro, some of your best, Rob, honestly. Thanks, Flawless, man. man. You're getting uh, better I was really this. struggling that time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see you next fortnight. See you then.